0: Hey, good morning. Good morning. I hope you guys are doing awesome as we, uh, approach Easter, uh, this, uh, month and, uh, the resurrection of Jesus and all that that means to us so much to us, the resurrection and his ascension and the hope that we have that Jesus is going to come back one day and take us to be with him forever, uh, We're talking about buckling up. We're buckling up, and what we're looking at is the truly, truly statements that Jesus made to his disciples and to the world. And whenever he said, truly, truly, or verily, verily, he was about to say something that had a lot of impact. It was very important. And most of them answered a big question. Most of these truly, truly statements answered a huge question that we all should be asking. And today, His truly, truly statement is going to answer this question. How do we conquer death? And how do we come back into a relationship with the creator of the universe, the God who made us in his image? Now, that is a big, big question. And we are going to dig into that today. And so, here we go. How's your garden growing? I hope uh, hope uh, you've begun planting or at least getting your seeds going. Um, it's that time I've got my peppers going, I got my tomatoes going and I've got some strawberries uh, kind of in the works. Uh, hope your, your plants are, are, are getting in the dirt and, and beginning to grow a little bit wherever you might live and uh, you're keeping them you know, in a good temperature until it warms up a little bit more. But it is a fascinating thing to grow a plant, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of fascinating. Like life itself is fascinating. You, you take a seed, you put it in a hole, you add dirt, you add some water, and in time with the sunlight, it grows. It just like begins to grow And it gets bigger and bigger over time. And then after a while, we enjoy the fruit, tomatoes or strawberries or peppers or whatever it is. Um, But that seed, that seed that you put in the ground, that seed is the source of life. It is the source of life. In the Garden of Eden, on the third day, God creates vegetation. Seed bearing plants and trees, all according to various kinds, but to their own kind. Apples to apples, oranges, oranges, pears, pears. An apple seed never will produce an orange, and a pear uh, will never produce, a pear tree will never produce. Uh, A different kind of fruit. It just isn't the way God made it. Now, we might, science might take it and mess it around and and, uh, combine things and get some weird thing, but that's not God's original plan. That's man messing around with God's stuff. God's design is that one individual seed, one seed, would produce much fruit and many more seeds that would also produce more and more fruit. So hold on to your socks for this. Through Adam and Eve, here we are. Here we are. Like through Adam and through Eve, two people, the entire human race is here. That that is incredible. That is an incredible amount of seed. But that seed it's all about the seed. It's all about that seed. In order for a seed to produce fruit, it has to go through an incredible transformation that looks like this. It starts as a seed, gets a little moisture on it in the ground, and it begins to bust through that dormant dry seed that that you now put in the ground, get some moisture on it, and it begins to now activate. That little bit of, mo- it's like the Holy Spirit activates a person's soul and their life. That's what a little bit of moisture does with the seed, and it begins to pop out, and the first thing that begins to pop out are the roots, and the roots will pop through the shell, and they will begin to go down into the earth, grabbing onto the earth, and soaking up nutrients and moisture. And then not long after that, another uh, 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 a part of the plant will pop through, it's called the sprout, or it will begin to, um, the shoot will pop up through the shell and it will begin to grow upward, always toward the sun. How cool is that, right? So the seed pops through, uh, the seed begins to uh, grow, Roots go down and the plant goes up. The plant is going to bear, the fruit is going to go up toward the sun. It's almost as though the seed is hearing the voice of God saying, go to the light. Like, go to the light, go to the light. And and so that seed, that plant begins to grow up through the soil toward the light. That alone, that, that that one little truth right there about this seed growing up, up through the soil toward the light should speak to every one of us about growing toward the sun, growing toward the sun. So with some good light, with some good water, the plant begins to produce fruit. And then that fruit after time produces more seeds. It really is one of the wonders of God, one of the marvels of God. And it is the foundational system of all of life. God's invention of creating continual life. That is incredible. It's insane. Multiplying itself over and over and over again. And that too is a valuable lesson for us as believers. The idea of multiplying, multiplying itself, multiplying ourself in this world, each after their own kind. Here's a side note. What came first, the apple or the seed or the chicken or the egg? Well, we all know that God created the earth and everything in it Mature and full-grown already. He created man-made. He didn't create an infant crawling around. He didn't create. God didn't go around planting seeds in the ground and waiting for them to. God said, "Let there be trees," and there they were, full-grown trees, mature. He created the entire planet and the universe and mankind completely mature. See, this is a this is a big problem for the Big Bang people that God created everything fully mature. Because if evolution wants to say that everything is billions of years old, or at least it seems to be billions of years old, but the fact of the matter is, God created it already mature. So if you would come on the earth when Adam was born on day one, when, as soon as Adam was born, you were able to go back in time and you go, hey, Adam, have a conversation with Adam. Adam, you look like you're about 20 years old, Adam. How old are you, Adam? Adam would go, mom, mom. I'm like seven hours old. God created me this way, mature. And if you were to look at the trees and the forest and the ocean, you'd go, wow, this, has had to, this had to have been here hundreds of years, maybe thousands of years for all these trees to get here and all the mountain ranges and the oceans to look the way they do. Thousands, maybe even millions of years, this looks old. And I was like, no, 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 it's not. It's only a couple days old. Why? Because God created it mature. So the next time you have a little discussion with somebody who is an evolutionist or an atheist, you remind them that God created everything mature, already to look old. Just because you think it is does not mean that it is. God created already mature, fully mature. So we've got tomatoes, we've got apples, and we've got oranges. Do you know what the um, what fruit has the most seeds? Like what individual fruits have the most seeds in them? Take a guess, real quick. Take a guess. The pomegranate, the papaya, and a watermelon. Some of the some of the fruits that have the most seeds in them. You know what veggie uh, has some of the most seeds in them? Vegetable? The cucumber has... Uh, some of the most seeds in them, in each and every one of them individually. So fruits and veggies and people, people, people. God created every one of those with seed already in them. And did you know that for for a female at birth, she has millions of eggs in her body already at birth. And as a woman gets older, some of those die off and there's not as many when it comes time to uh, trying to have a child. That's why some people uh, struggle with having children or, or it just takes them longer because they don't have as many seeds as they did when they were younger. And for a male, a male continues to produce millions of seeds. I mean, that's how God made everything, including people, fruits and vegetables and people. It's just brilliant if you think about it. It's an amazing wonder of God. And this is just the physical, right? This is just the physical. So far, it's it's only about like life on this earth. Surely God has a deeper reality intended in, in all of this. In all of this, the physical always has a deeper truth attached to it when it comes to God. There's a spiritual truth about almost everything that is physical, including this, and it does. Which leads us to our passage in John chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, you're going to want to go to John chapter 12, and we're going to look at this passage. Jesus is coming to the very end of his ministry. It's been three years of ministry since he was baptized by John and he began calling disciples. In fact, last week we were, we were at the beginning of his ministry when he was calling the disciples and he had that encounter with Nathaniel under the fig tree. Remember that? So, But now it's the Passover, right? The Passover is here and uh, Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. He gets on a donkey. He's riding on a donkey and people, all kinds of people are going out there with palm branches to meet him. And they're laying the palm branches on the ground and they're laying their cloaks on the ground. And uh, he comes riding in on a donkey. And all of this, all of this triumphal entry, we call it, is, is to fulfill, like most of what Jesus does, is to fulfill what the Old Testament prophets and writers said about the Christ, what he would do, what he would be like, how he would act, what he would teach, all these things, hundreds of prophecies about Jesus. He's going to fulfill another one in the triumphal entry. In fact, Zechariah 9.9 says, this is Zechariah wrote hundreds of years before Jesus stepped on the earth. He wrote, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt of a donkey. And so hundreds of years before Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on this colt, Zechariah wrote about this very moment. And that's pretty incredible. And you could say, wow, okay, somebody took a guess and they got it right. But but that's not what's happening here. There are hundreds of prophecies about Jesus and he fulfilled them all. That would be like somebody hundreds of years ago, sitting down and writing about your life before you were ever thought of and and key things that you would do and your accomplishments and who your parents would be and where you'd be born. Like they just looked into the future and were able to see only God could pull that off. Maybe somebody could get, get a couple things right if they just guessed about somebody in the future. They might get a few things correct. But nobody is going to get the amount of things correct about Jesus as the prophets did because it was God who was writing through them. It would be Jesus' final entrance into Jerusalem, and we call it the triumphal entry. Now, verse 17 says, John 12, if you got your Bibles... Digging with me. Verse 17 says, now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. That's kind of cool, right? Last chapter, chapter 11. We're in John 12, chapter 11. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And so the death, what's going to happen here? This is really kind of cool. What's going to unfold before us is the death of Lazarus the resurrection truth, and the seed, the seed, those three things are all going to come together in the next few moments. In this sermon, but in this passage, and in the life of Jesus right now. And so they're all going to come together, and there is one more piece of this truth that's going to happen, or going to be spoken, and then is going to be carried out that nobody could have ever seen coming. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. It's completely miraculous. And that is, that is this that the seed that we've been talking about must go in the ground and die in order for it to produce fruit. We all know that, right? Die to live. Die. To live. That, that doesn't even make sense in our human brains. You mean in order to live, I've got to die? That doesn't seem even like rational. Doesn't seem logical. Doesn't seem possible. There, there is nothing about it that seems right. But this is what Jesus is going. To teach us today that the way that you conquer death and the way that you come back into a relationship with God has something very closely related to a seed going in the ground, dying, and then living. (laughs) It's incredible. It's incredible. So here's what happened. Verse 18, many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. The sign is that he raised Lazarus from the dead in, in chapter 11. So the Pharisees said to one another, the Pharisees, they're the religious leaders of the day, they say to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look, the whole world has gone after him. And so the plot continues to thicken with Jesus. Chapter 11, he raises Lazarus, a lot of commotion. People are following him. He's gonna teach them some important things. The, The Pharisees are there. They're the critics, they're the skeptics, they're the doubters, and they are losing ground fast, and they do not like that at all. Remember, at the end of chapter 11, After Jesus raised Lazarus, look what the scripture says at the end of chapter 11, verse 57. But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it to them, should report it so that they might arrest him. So the attack is coming on. It's at the end of his ministry. Soon Jesus is going to be arrested, but they are now looking for that moment to do it. And they're wanting the help of the crowd. Jesus is winning the whole world, but the religious leaders are hating on Jesus. Another valuable lesson for us. When when the leaders are hating on the truth, When they are hating on the truth, they are hating on God. That's an important lesson for for you and me. Verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival, the Passover, where Jesus is. They came to Philip, remember, we met him earlier, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. So Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. So the plot continues to thicken. This is a a great event, all happening here on this day. And so these Greeks, these Greeks, not Jews, but Gentiles, They want to have a meet and greet with Jesus. They want to get together with Jesus. He he fed thousands of people. He has healed all kinds of people. He, He caused demons to go into a group of pigs and they ran down into the water and drowned. I mean, Jesus has done some incredible things. He has taught a kind of truth that has blown people's minds and they want to meet with him. Why? Because Jesus has outwitted, Jesus has outplayed, and Jesus has outlasted all of those who have opposed him. He is the ultimate survivor. And the fulfillment of all things, as we get to the end of his ministry in life, the fulfillment of all things is very, very close. And so they want to have this meet and greet with Jesus. And Jesus says this to the disciples. Remember, Philip and Andrew came to ask if Jesus would meet with these guys. And and they're the disciples. So to the disciples, Jesus says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That's pretty impressive. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Earlier in Jesus' ministry, Jesus would say things like, the time has not yet come. The time has not yet come. But now, it's time. It is time. The hour is at hand. His divine timetable is up. God's fulfillment of God's plan and God's timing is now at hand. The religious hate is high. They are looking for a reason to persecute him and arrest him and kill him and do away with him. The evidence of his authority has been shown all over the last three years. He has won the favor of the world. The Greeks are now seeking him. And soon Jesus would be in the garden and the disciples would fall asleep. And Jesus would say, look, the hour has come. Because Jesus knew that the hour had come. All the signs point to it's time. It's time. The Father has set the boundaries for the Son, and the hour is at hand. And he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. To be glorified means to finish what he was sent here to do That's what it means. It's the ultimate work of Jesus on the earth, that Jesus would be glorified in the eyes of the Father, and in the eyes of the world, he would be lifted up and glorified. To be glorified is going to encompass a number of things. Number one, his death on the cross for all of mankind is going to glorify the Father. The resurrection Conquering the grave is going to conquer evil and sin once and for all. And in that, Jesus is going to be lifted up and glorified. And his ascension back into heaven, as he returns back to the Father's right hand from where he came, Jesus is about to get glorified in the ascension. Jesus will be glorified. And that phrase is used by Jesus several other times. In just a few verses from in John 12, Jesus is going to say, my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour hour in John 13 verse 1 Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go back to the father in John 13 31 a little bit later Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the father after they had left the upper room Jesus said now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him And in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the scripture says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. And so it's no wonder that Jesus would be glorified because he is the glory of God. Jesus knew what time it was. And the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And not just the son of God to be glorified, but notice the son of man in the flesh, the incarnate Christ who became one of us is about to be glorified. He is going to be crowned Lord and King of all humanity the greatest person that ever would step on this planet. Look, through one man, sin entered the world, through Adam. Through Adam, sin came into the world. And through this one man, Jesus Christ, salvation and forgiveness of our sin has come into this world and is available to you and to me. So all of this... All of this is going to lead us to this most intense moment. And Jesus is going to say, Jesus is going to say, buckle up, buckle up. So are you holding on? Are you leaning in? Are you listening closely to what Jesus is about to say? He's about to say this to his disciples. And you know that when he said, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, or assuredly, I say to you, or I promise you, they knew he was about to tell them something that was huge, important, big. And so Jesus says in verse 24, Very truly I tell you, there it is, buckle up, Unless... A kernel of weed falls to the ground and dies. It remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Wow. That's mind-blowing. This is like a mind-blowing truth. This is, this is the disciples in their heart, you and I in our own hearts, and people wondering like, like, how do we come back into a relationship with God? If death is the end for all of us on this earth, how are we going to pass through the grave? How are we going to conquer death and, and, and enter into life? This, this, this is a big, huge question. Most people may never ask the question, but it is the biggest question for mankind and our dilemma on this earth. How are we going to leave this planet and go into eternal life with God? How is that even going to happen? How is it even possible? And Jesus says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So we've already talked about trees and plants and Vegetables and fruits and how they work and how that seed produces. One seed produces many more plants. It's God's order for life and growth. From Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, and all through scripture, God is going to, big word here, God is going to produce every living thing and the salvation of our souls. He is going to produce the salvation of our souls based on the scripture in Genesis 1 as God creates the universe. And he makes everything to bear fruit after its own kind. How incredibly, ridiculously amazing and wondrous is this. God is going to replicate the saving work of Jesus with the creative order and everything that you and I know about life on planet Earth and how things work. This simple seed, this simple seed. The next time you hold that tomato seed, in your hand before you plant it in the ground or that strawberry seed before you plant or that that jalapeno pepper, whatever it is you're planting, before you plant that seed in the ground, I, I hope you'll think about this. That seed, that little seed or big seed, whatever it might be, that seed is screaming out to you and to me today. It's screaming to us. It is screaming to us salvation. Salvation comes in a seed. Salvation. That is incredible. The seed going into the ground and dying has has everything to do with your tomatoes and it has nothing to do with your tomatoes. Instead, it has everything to do with, with this. The farmer a great farmer who went out to sow seed. He went out and he sent one seed to the earth and then into the ground. And when that seed finished his work, he produced a great crop, 50, 100, 1,000 times what was sown. See, it's really about It's really all about that seed, that one seed, the living word of God growing in your heart, in good soil, that seed of God that comes into your life and begins to grow in you and out of you. That seed of God that produces fruit from your life, the seed planted in you producing fruit from your life, the seed of God, the one who came from heaven, was buried in the earth, rose from the dead, and is available for you and me. He died so that you might live. And Jesus calls us to die to ourself and be made new in him. There's two passages I want to just kind of close with today with you. These are amazing passages of scripture, but I want to just look at them and then wrap this thing up. But this is a powerful truth that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples and you and me as believers. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been, Paul writes and he says, I have been crucified with Christ. You get the terms. I have been crucified with Jesus. I no longer live. You, you will, you will sense the, 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 uh, the truth about dying, dying to ourself. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, or in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Spiritually, we die with Jesus. This is the truth for you and I. We must die with Jesus spiritually. Don't go out and kill yourself. That is not what Jesus is saying to do. He is saying this fleshly person that wants to control me has got to go. And I need to be replaced By the Spirit of God and the truth of God and the Word of God and let God take control of who I am. Spiritually. Live by faith in the Son of God. That's how we live now. We've surrendered our life to Christ, we've given it to him, and now we live for Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The second verse in Romans 6 says this, Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? No, no, don't do that. Just because grace is greater than our sin doesn't mean we should go out and sin because grace is going to cover our sin and we have like this license to sin. That is not what God wants out of our life. We do not have a license to sin. What we do have is a call to holiness and purity. But if we mess up, grace covers our mess up, our sin. He says, by no means, we are we are those who have died to sin. Like he said in Galatians, How can we live in it any longer? We're not going to live that way. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism in death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. How? How amazing is God that he would provide such such a miracle for you and for me? Look what Paul says. Die to sin. We die to sin. We crucify ourselves. We're not going to live by the flesh anymore, what I want or what I desire or how I feel or what's urging me or what's leading me. I'm not going to live by the sinfulness of the world, but by the truth of God's word. That's it. It doesn't matter what the world is doing. It doesn't matter how chaotic the world is going to get and how woke they wanna be and how messed up they want this country to be and the world to be. We're not following them. We are not following that. We have died to sin, Paul says. We have been baptized with Jesus. We have been buried with Jesus. We have gone into the grave of the watery baptism, and we have been buried with Christ, that we too, just like Jesus was raised to life again, we too will follow him and and be raised to life again with Jesus. These are two powerful and incredible passages of Scripture. There's something very unique about growing a garden. The seed, that seed, it's gotta be planted in the ground. If you leave it in the bag, it's either gonna get old and be no good anymore, but it's dormant, it's not gonna do anything. It has to be planted in the ground so that it will die and become a plant that will bear fruit. Fruit, an apple, an orange, Strawberries, tomatoes, fruit for you and I to enjoy. That's awesome, right? Jesus, Jesus came to this earth to die on a cruel cross for the sins of the world. He was buried in the earth and he rose from the dead, conquering the grave. His death is bearing much Fruit, fruit that you and I enjoy. And Jesus said, you must be born again. You must be born. You must die to yourself. You must go into the watery grave of baptism as you follow Jesus in his death Burial and resurrection. You must make the decision. You can't have your parents do it. You can't do it as an infant. That is not biblical. Biblical baptism is an adult who understands what sin is that they have offended God and were separated from Him. And you consciously surrender and make a decision to give Jesus Christ your life, your soul, and all of you. You go into that watery grave of baptism where your sins are forgiven. And that Holy Spirit comes in and activates your life and your spirit again. And you must die and you must rise out of that watery grave to live a new life, bearing much fruit for others to enjoy. And so, have you been buried with Christ? Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you surrendered to Christ? Have you died with Jesus? Are you alive now in Christ? And are you bearing much fruit? Are you bearing fruit? On Wednesday nights, we've been talking about the blueprints of the Bible. We're going through the entire Bible. But this last Wednesday, I had to skip out of that, and I got to meet with two young men. Two teenagers that meet in this room right here with us for youth group. Well, one of them does. The other is a friend who came in from Indiana. And both of them wanted to get together and talk about forgiveness and grace. And so we met together on that Wednesday not last Wednesday night. And we talked about these things. And at the end of looking at scripture and reading scripture, and I, I gave him some scriptures to read, both of them, so that when we met that they would already have read those. And they read those, and we got to the end of our discussion, and here's what they said to me. They said, we need, to, we need to be immersed into Christ. They both said, I need to be baptized into Christ. I need to die to myself. I want to live my life for Jesus. And we're going to baptize one of them Sunday, this Sunday, today. And we're going to baptize. The other one had to go back to Indiana, but as soon as he gets back, or if he gets baptized in Indiana, that will be an amazing. But when he comes back, he wants to be baptized as well what about you? What about you? If you have never surrendered to Jesus, don't put it off. Don't put it off. Give Christ your life. Be buried with Jesus today. Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, that seed will go into the ground and die it will produce much more fruit. Have you been buried with Christ? Have you given him everything that you are? I pray to God that you will. And if I can do anything to help you in that process, man, I would love that. What a privilege and an honor it would be for me to talk to anybody, anybody, anytime, anywhere about giving your life to Christ. I'd love to do that. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.